Coming up on today's Sunshine Economy, healthcare costs and the pandemic with AvMed Health Insurance. We're probably looking at a full-year impact around $50 million in just COVID-related costs. As the pandemic wears on, a new price transparency law is coming for health insurers. The demand around transparency has to come from the consumer perspective. I'm Tom Hudson. Also on today's program, Amami Lake's mask maker rushing to ramp up production again. Towards the end of last year, we had probably near 20 million. Today, we're almost out of stock of N95s. It's ahead on the Sunshine Economy. Welcome to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening and supporting public radio. Almost two years into the pandemic, and there have been major changes with two important tools in the fight against the virus, at-home COVID-19 tests and N95 masks. The Biden White House has taken steps to boost access to more at-home tests by requiring insurance companies to pay for them and sending hundreds of millions of N95 face masks to health centers and pharmacies for people to pick up for free. Now, the insurance coverage for those at-home tests began 10 days ago. The masks are expected to be available late this week. Both of these changes affect the businesses of two South Florida bosses we spoke to separately for our program this week. For Luis Arguello, He's been waiting and waiting and waiting for the federal government to be more aggressive and clear on masks. He runs medical products company Demitech in Miami Lakes. It expanded into surgical and N95 mask making in the early months of the pandemic. But don't look for Demitech masks among the 400 million N95 masks coming for Americans beginning this week. Those are from the national stockpile. So it's not going to be coming from us. He hopes to sell Demitech masks to the federal government as it replenishes that national stockpile. Meantime, demand for the N95s that have been sitting in his warehouse in Miami Lakes has skyrocketed thanks to the Omicron variant and the Centers for Disease Control changing its mask guidance this month. It now recommends the most protective mask that fits well. Last time we spoke, I think we had close to 30 million uh, in inventory. Towards the end of last year, we had probably near 20 million. And throughout 2021, we basically stopped producing N95s. Today, we're almost out of stock of N95s. Later in the program, we will hear more about how Demitech is on a hiring binge in hopes of finally seeing sustainable demand for its masks. But first, health insurance. Private health insurers have been required to cover the cost of a COVID-19 test since the early weeks of the pandemic. And beginning this year, insurance companies now also have to pay for at-home COVID-19 tests. That began January 15th. This is where we began our interview with Jim Rep. He is president and chief operating officer of AvMed, a nonprofit health insurer based in Miami-Dade County. Is AvMed in compliance with that rule? We are, uh, obviously, with the short lead time on implementation, uh, it does create significant challenges. So it's not to say that there aren't bumps in the road, but uh, we, we are in compliance with the requirement. There will still will exist a number of challenges, right? What are some of those? We can't fix the supply chain. You know, we have access to coverage for tests, but if there are no tests to, to be covered, that's obviously could potentially create friction with our with our members and our client base, right? 
Yeah, and beyond your control because you're not manufacturing the tests or shipping the tests or, for that matter, selling the tests. Exactly. So operationally, we're prepared for this. You know, as we look at the pressure that that creates downstream, though, we're now in the business of supporting our our member base. And when they feel um, that they're being restricted from access to that, that creates calls to our call center, to our client management teams, and creates some challenges as well as uh, in terms of operations in other areas of the of the organization. But the intent is good. You know, access to more testing, I think, is is positive for the community in, in general. It's good for uh, our membership base and improving the health and safety of the membership base, but doesn't come without some challenges. Are there in-network and out-of-network stores for AvMed health insurance policyholders? There'll be access to both. I mean, the requirement is uh, that you provide access to coverage regardless of whether you have a preferred network or not. And uh, we will have preferred network uh, and then also the ability for members to get testing anywhere and submit reimbursement requests. As a policyholder, if you're able to find a test and purchase a test at a in-network drugstore, for instance, is there still a reimbursement process? No, that would be handled. That transaction would be handled very similarly to the way that pharmaceutical coverage is in, in, the, uh, in our traditional plans, where the member wouldn't have you know, out-of-pocket cost exposure at that point that would be handled and the transaction would be processed, uh, be basically a cashless exercise. Could you share with us some of those maybe better known in-network retailers that you're working with for these at-home tests? It's a narrower network than what we typically would have for you know, general pharmaceutical coverage. You know, Walmart, for instance, is part of that provider network where our members would have access through the uh, through that network. How did this work on the business side? Because the Biden administration rule came about very quickly. Did you have to go in and negotiate then with a Walmart, for instance, to become part of that network for AvMed? There's a number of factors, right? There's, first of all, the cost structure, you know, negotiating a, um, a reasonable cost for the testing. Uh, the second piece of it is operationally. How do we handle the transactional aspect of, you know, that purchase uh, at the point of sale? The third piece of it, which is not insignificant, is for the non-preferred network utilization. That's a manual transaction. That kind of goes back to, you know, old school, back in the days where people would keep their receipts and file those with the health insurance company for reimbursement once a year. Right. And then, and then the health insurance company cuts a check and sends it out. Yeah. Those will be received manually and have to be processed through the system. Could you share with us how much AvMed covers for these tests for an in-network retailer? Yeah, well, it really ranges. There's a variable piece of it. On the out-of-network element, the member reimbursement limit is $12 per test. And that's set by the administration? That's set by the administration in terms of what that reimbursement amount would be, regardless of what the, the cost to the, to the member is. AvMed has 128,000 primary members, according to the latest regulatory filings with the state of Florida. I, I can't imagine this is the way that it would work in reality. But as you think through the potential financial implications of this new regulation that came about very quickly, under the regulation... Private health insurers are obligated to pay uh, for eight tests 
Up to eight tests. Eight tests per month. Per month. Per month. So multiply that by 12, and then you get the annual exposure. We're over $100 million. (laughs) Right. So, you know, if you look at maximum liability, it is not an insignificant cost. Now, on the other side of that, there is potential savings that could come into play in terms of the cost that was going through other sources. So people that were going to an urgent care previously to get testing, if they're now going to a retail setting, getting a retail test, you know, the cost arbitrage there is a benefit. Now, how much of that occurs, that's really speculative right now. And then in terms of the testing, does it keep people from engaging the healthcare delivery system when they're pre-symptomatic or really shouldn't be engaging the system at, at that point? There, there could be some efficiency that comes out, out of that. But the net bottom line, Tom, is, is that it does have significant cost. And the challenging thing is for our industry is that cost is, should be built into the premium, but our premiums are already set for 2022. How is this figuring into those financial forecasts for your expectations? It is a drain. I mean, the, the, across the industry, this, uh, the compliance with this requirement will have be a, be a drain on financial performance uh, of organizations. From a capitalization standpoint, that's why you know, we do have excess capital to weather the storm when we have peaks and valleys. But at the end of the day, it does put pressure on the, uh, the financial performance and the ability to provide competitive, affordable products and services to, to the consumers. How could it impact your plans for 2023, 2024 pricing? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. If you and maybe go back in history a little bit, when we started in 2020, from a health insurance standpoint, there was a lot of uh, cost that was foregone in that first cycle in 2020. Because elective surgeries were canceled and those types of things. Right, deferred care. I mean, even to the point where, where there were... Um, you know, government mandates to stop all elective care. That really was at the, just at the inception of the pandemic. Once we got a good handle that the hospital capacity could handle the COVID elements as well as uh, elective care, then that started to normalize. As we moved into 2021, though, the care came back to normal levels. And then on top of it, you know, we had COVID care. Now, what we forecasted into our pricing for 2021 was that there would be an impact of COVID costs, whether it was testing, treatment, inpatient costs. Unfortunately, what we estimated was understated. So we picked up accurately the first wave uh, at the beginning of 21. The Delta wave was significantly more intense than what we had expected. The Delta variant of the virus. Right. The Delta variant of the virus was more intense than than what we forecast and drove additional costs. So from a pricing perspective, we were really underpriced in 2021. At that point, our pricing for 2022 was already set. So when you look at the timing of when our pricing goes into Office of Insurance Regulation for approval, that was already set. So we couldn't price for what we thought we would see in 2022. And then on top of it, we get kind of the surprise expenses around retail testing. So as we're sitting here today, we're starting to work on pricing for 2023. And um, unfortunately, if you look at pricing for 21 globally, pricing actually for the ACA market went down about 3% in 2022. ACA is the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare. 
as I look at 2023, I wouldn't expect that, uh, that we'll see price decreases. I think you'll see price increases to cover some of the, uh, the unknown costs that occurred over the course of 2021 and 2022. But also, as we look at predicting, you know, what's the duration of COVID going forward? The reality is that uh, with the time constraints that we have around pricing the business, we'll have to make those, those decisions and make that forecast here very shortly. Those rates get filed mid-year in the May-June timeline, and then we're bound by those rates all the way through 2023 calendar year. How has vaccination rates affected the finances at AvMed? Once vaccines became very prevalent, the severity of the illness in the inpatient setting decreased significantly. And so that would mean your costs would decrease? Right. That, that our costs um, decreased in terms of the treatment of those, the treatment of those patients. Uh, and I would say probably the number of those patients is probably more accurate. When we were in the period of rapid uh, vaccination of our population, uh, the vast majority of the patients that were in the inpatient setting were unvaccinated. Uh, now, fast forward to the Omicron, we do see patients that are vaccinated that are in the inpatient setting, but very sh- much shorter length of stays, very low utilization of the intensive care unit. Th- those more complex situations are, are really mainly tied to the unvaccinated. Speaking with Jim Rapp, he's chief operating officer at health insurance company AvMed. You're listening to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Stay in touch with us with an email. You can find us at sunshineeconomy at wlrnnews.org. Our email address is sunshineeconomy at wlrnnews.org. Each Monday, we examine stories and hear the voices of people shaping South Florida's economy. Be sure to listen for the BBC News Hour Tuesdays through Fridays at 9 a.m. to hear stories and voices from around the globe. Still to come, calculating the financial cost of COVID-19 to a South Florida-based health insurer. We're probably looking at a full year impact in the calendar year of 21, around $50 million in just COVID-related costs. I'm Tom Hudson. This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Thanks for listening. It was two years ago this week that the White House Coronavirus Task Force was formed and the Food and Drug Administration announced it was stepping up efforts to develop what it called countermeasures to the virus. The germ has killed more than 63,000 Floridians, according to official state health department data. That's about one out of every seven people in the United States who have died from COVID. And it has changed business and the culture of work in countless ways. In the workplace, Employees and jobs were sent home if it was possible and have stayed there through different waves of the germ. Some companies like health insurer AvMed have used the changes to shrink its office space without shrinking its number of employees. The changes come as the pandemic continues, impacting AvMed's business. According to credit rating agency AM Best, AvMed lost $17.5 million in the third quarter, mostly thanks to the surge of hospitalizations from the Delta strain of COVID. The company's full-year financials for 2021 won't be filed with state regulators until March. We spoke with Jim Rep, Chief Operating Officer of Health Insurer AvMed, about the changes in the workplace and the ongoing cost of COVID to AvMed's business. The trend for the fourth quarter was pretty consistent with what we saw in the, in the third quarter. So you'll see further 
some further de deterioration in the financial performance. When you start to peel away the layers of the onion on what's driving that, it is basically exclusively tied to that uh, unplanned COVID cost. We're probably looking at a full year impact in the calendar year of 21, around $50 million in just COVID related costs. And whether that's cost uh, of care that was unplanned or whether that's a reduction in revenue on the top line revenue due to the impact, the longer term impact of, of COVID. The COVID related negative impact in the full calendar year is about $50 million. So where, wherever we end up for the full year, if COVID didn't exist, put $50 million back on top of that number. I think we've obviously had some, some bumps in the road in 2021 and 2022, but as we look to 2023, I, I think the market will uh, once again stabilize and, and we'll have business priced aligned with the risk that exists. Increasingly, a number of public health experts and epidemiologists have said the pandemic of COVID-19 is likely to transition into some type of endemic. Uh, in other words, it's going to be continuously circulating in the population in various forms. So as a health insurance provider, negotiating rates with health care providers, how are you thinking about approaching that? Well, I think it's less about the negotiation of the price element. I think it's more about getting a handle on how do we predict the utilization going forward. You know, not unlike any insurance business, we can price for any risk. Yeah, usually the risk that you know about, that you have a familiarity with. Right. The, the risk is you're, you're pricing for something that you think you know. It's, it's perspective. Uh, so as, we, as we've been through this now for two years and we look into the future, we've got better history. You know, we're in an industry that's built on taking historical trends and using those as the foundation to predict, uh, better predict the future. We've now got two, two years of history to use as the foundation to predict into the future. And that gives us some confidence that we'll be able to, to write price of business. Does that mean that there's not existing risk? No. If we see another variant like Delta, that's that significant, that, that it's that transmissible and, and that severe, that's probably a risk that isn't uh, priced into the equation. We're pricing for future cost of COVID that it turns into more of an endemic and something that we're dealing with on an annual basis. At the same time, I think we all see the historical perspective that we, we could get a variant that could change all of that thinking right, right out of the blue. Beyond the income statement for AvMed, how is the pandemic affecting your workforce? You know, not unlike, I think, probably every business, it's been a real 180 degree shift from where we were previously. Within a two week period, we flipped the switch and took 95% of our employees and went 100% virtual. The people that were still on site were really primarily people handling facilities, mail, and, and things that weren't uh, able to be virtualized. And we did it very effectively. Uh, and I think the good news is, as you look back from a business operator standpoint, the investments that we've been making in technology, security over the, over the last number of years really had the, had the, became the foundation of what allowed us to be able to do that. As you fast forward to where we are uh, today, 
we didn't want to chase where the marketplace was going, right? So a lot of talk about virtualization, some employers that are never going back to the office. We love virtual. We're going to leverage this to our advantage. We were balancing that. So a lot of, a lot of interest from our employee base to remain virtual, right? High levels of satisfaction. For the most part, uh, business productivity uh, was maintained. At the same time, a lot of questions about what this does long-term to our culture. We strategized and, and really came up with a balanced approach, I believe, that uh, ultimately re resulted in creating a hybrid work structure where our, our leadership team is physically in the office Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, virtual on Fridays and Mondays. Uh, the rest of our associates have been split into uh, two teams, one team that's physically in the office Mondays, Tuesdays, one team that's in the office on Wednesdays, Thursdays. We've been able to then pair those up and share uh, space. As we look at our real estate footprint, that'll be able to shrink and scale down to be able to accommodate those a, that A team and B team. Still early uh, in terms of uh, you know, evaluating the impact of that and still constraints. You know, when we're in the office, we're still constrained by COVID protocols. So we can't, we can't congregate the way that we ultimately want to when we talk about collaboration. AvMed has leaned into this hybrid structure in a way that it's not testing it. You've downsized your real estate footprint. You've made investments to continue with this hybrid structure. Yeah, and uh, it's very fluid. It's not a decision that's locked in. It gives us the ability to flex. So I, I use as an example, we started to see that Omicron variant peak up and you know, for a couple of reasons, one with the, you know, the congregation of employees around the holidays, the potential health risk, which is, was, was less of an issue because of what we were seeing from Omicron, that it was less severe. But on the other side of the equation, the absenteeism and the issue with business continuity if people test positive. So it gave us the ability to flip the switch and send everybody back to virtual. So right now we're, everyone's virtual again until February 1st. So when you start to look at it from a business operations standpoint, the flexibility that that gives us to deal with all challenges. I mean, here in South Florida, we've historically dealt in the, in the summer and the fall with hurricane season. You know, with, with our new technology structure, you know, we have very limited risk in terms of the disruption from hurricanes now where we can flex our employees, send them virtually redeploy work to other locations virtually from, from really anywhere in the country. When you talk about some of the office protocols uh, regarding the virus, prior to Florida having a law regarding employers and vaccine requirements, was there any vaccine requirement for AvMed? No, we, we didn't have a, a vaccine requirement. Our position was that, you know, as we went back and look at the data, you know, the data that we see publicly, the data, as I referenced, within our own uh, member population, clearly vaccination was beneficial in terms of dealing with the highest risk population and keeping them safe. But when you look at that inpatient utilization setting, the people that were the sickest were the people that weren't vaccinated. So really focusing on providing people the choice, but at the same time, highly recommending that they consider vaccination because, you know, the facts supported that, that their health and safety would benefit from that. 
That's AvMed Chief Operating Officer Jim Rapp. Now, the name AvMed comes from the combination of aviation and medicine. The company started as a health plan for pilots. It's based in Miami-Dade County. Later on in this program, we check back in with the Miami Lakes mask maker as it rushes to meet skyrocketing demand for N95 masks. The hiring situation is frantic, uh, I would say. This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Be sure to check out our podcast by searching Sunshine Economy on your favorite podcast app. Leave a review and hit subscribe. Still to come, another year of Obamacare and competition. South Florida is probably one of, if not the most competitive health insurance market in the country. This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Hudson. Obamacare is eight years old. The government-mandated health insurance marketplace has changed a lot in those eight years, including essentially doing away with the individual mandate that required eligible people to get health insurance. That's no longer the case. Still, the program keeps growing, and Florida has more people who get their health insurance through healthcare.gov than any other state. Last year, it was more than 2 million people. This year's enrollment had to be completed by January 15th, and it's expected to continue growing. This year is also just the second year the South Florida-based AvMed was selling health insurance plans through the government website. It's one area of growth for the company after seeing its overall insurance premium revenue drop each year since 2017. But that drop-off was not a surprise, according to AvMed Chief Operating Officer Jim Rep. We made a strategic decision to target the South Florida market as opposed to some of the other markets where we were, were participating around the state. Why was that? Really, this is, this is where our foundation is. We wanted to kind of pare back and focus our resources on the area where we had the greatest opportunity to, to, to deliver on our mission. And part of delivering on that mission is being able to provide access to affordable, uh, high-quality health care. So our foundation is here. And that's where we focused. And then the strategy was shore up and build strength in South Florida and then use that platform as an opportunity to strategically expand into other markets around the state. So that's number one. Number two, prior to 2021, our in individual product was only offered off of the federal exchange. We weren't offering a product within the federal exchange environment. You know, in the off-exchange market, you have to deal with all of the requirements, the new requirements and mandates of the uh, Affordable Care Act, but the consumer doesn't get any premium to offset that. So it creates a, a different risk pool than what you see in the on-exchange market. So part of that was pricing that individual product in line with the cost. When we did that, we saw membership shrink. We knew that that would happen. That was a strategic move. In concert with that, though, what we did see as the opportunity was to expand into the exchange marketplace. Did the work and in 2021 uh, launched a product or a number of products in the federal exchange and uh, had a you know, significant amount of growth in 2021 within that line of business. We're seeing comparable growth in 2022 through the enrollment period 
you know, really giving us an opportunity to participate in a marketplace that's now more normalized, where the risk pool is more stable and gives us the ability to appropriately price our product, be competitive. And then we're looking at expansion into other markets as we strengthen our, our cost structure and our cost position geographically. While we're talking about Obamacare, ACA, on exchange, healthcare.gov goes by a number of different uh, uh, characterizations. Open enrollment period closed January 15th. What was demand like for AVMED plans? Yeah, I mean, very consistent with what we saw last year. You know, we'll, we'll see a, a significant increase in membership when the final numbers settle down once we you know, net out the uh, terminations and, and all of the additions. Can you give us a flavor of a significant increase? Is it 10%, 20% over last year? Within that line of business, we'll see could be close to a doubling of our membership. Now it's on a small base, right? I mean, just, just entering that market last year, but yeah, our, our open enrollment this year will be consistent with the amount of amount of business we brought in last year. So pretty close to doubling of that, of that line of business. About how many ACA covered lives did AvMed have that first year out? It was around 20,000, 20,000 members. I think overall in the state of Florida, the exchange marketplace probably we'll see close to a 20, 25% increase in enrollment. Now that's coming from other places. One of the areas that's decreasing is, is small group, the plans that are offered by small employers. And so those folks are going to the individual market. Well, I I think really probably two or three things that are occurring in that small group market. One, I think there are employers that are now saying you have access to high quality, affordable care through the exchange. And you may even be eligible to get some subsidies to offset the cost. So we're not going to offer an employer plan. You you can now go out to the exchange and purchase it on your own. The second thing, there are employers that, you know, given the challenges that they've been dealing with, have, you know, just canceled coverage altogether, which is unfortunate. And then the third element is some small employers that are looking for alternative structures in the products that they're selecting. There are small employers that are moving into what's called a, a self-funded uh, environment. It's got some insurance protection, but for the most part, they're in a structure where they're paying for their actual healthcare costs. Those are probably the, the primary factors, but a big shift in um, what we call the consumer lines of business, significant growth in individual, especially on the exchange, and also um, we see growth in the Medicare Advantage product as well. When you think about the Medicare product, South Florida, in terms of the penetration or the willingness for Medicare, Medicare eligibles to enroll in a Medicare Advantage plan is probably the highest in the country. Close to you know, three-fourths of the Medicare population is in a Medicare Advantage plan in Miami-Dade County. So we, we see that as, as a growth opportunity as well. Those Medicare Advantage plans provide kind of insurance for things that Medicare doesn't cover, uh, co-pays and co-insurance and those types of things. You're starting to see a lot more non-traditional benefits that are offered through those plans as well. You get into you know food and nutrition, transportation. The so-called social determinants of health. On the AvMed entrance into the on-market plan, the Obamacare Affordable Care Act plan here in Florida, AvMed's Obamacare individual average premium fell by almost 3% uh, for this 
uh, coverage year. How did that occur? Well, really um, based on the historical utilization patterns. So when we look at our pricing relative to the cost and we look at the historical cost, we use that to project into the future, you know, what will the cost in the future be? And that's based on the membership that we attract. So I would say that part of that is due to that rapid growth that we had last year. We build a projection of the future cost for a group of members that we didn't know who they were. Once they come on board, now we've got real utilization for that that population. We know what their health status is. We know where they fall on a risk adjustment basis. Uh, It gives us the opportunity to more accurately predict and and price our business. Avmed offers these Obamacare ACA plans in 22 counties throughout the state, including Palm Beach, Broward, and Miami-Dade. You mentioned earlier how the company strategically has made decisions to focus business and growing business in South Florida. Share with us a little bit more about that market environment in South Florida, particularly for that Obamacare customer. South Florida is probably one of, if not the most competitive health insurance market in the country. So it is a very competitive market and uh, it's, it's a challenge to compete for shelf space. But what we've done is really look at our target, our target market. Who are those target segments? Well, it's interesting. We, when, you get into, uh, when you get into the exchange market, it really skews towards a younger demographic from an age perspective. It skews towards Hispanic population. So as we look at marketing to the general population, we're really more surgical about how we, how we message to those subpopulations within the community. And then more generally, in the other uh, lines of business for AvMed, as you've made that strategic decision to look at South Florida and concentrate on South Florida, what does the competitive health insurance market, as you describe it, present AvMed here that perhaps it doesn't see the, uh, the economic opportunities elsewhere in Florida, at least not at this time? Yeah, I, I think that's the probably the more accurate statement is not at this time. There's a, there's a lot of work being done, and, and it really is about having the discipline to look at growth in areas where we, where we have the structure to have a viable economic model. In South Florida, we, just, we have longer-term relationships with the, with the healthcare provider community, and it really all starts with that. And there could be some big changes coming to those relationships in terms of the public knowing more about price agreements between healthcare insurers and healthcare providers. That part of our conversation with AvMed Chief Operating Officer Jim Rapp is still to come. Ultimately, the demand around transparency has to come from the consumer perspective. Tom Hudson, you're listening to WLRN and the Sunshine Economy. There are several price transparency efforts happening in the healthcare industry. For years, health insurers and healthcare providers have offered patients versions of calculators in the effort to give them an estimate about their out of pocket costs for healthcare. Now, in July, a new federal law will take effect, taking what could be a much bigger and more complicated step 
toward putting the power of price into the hands of patients. The federal government's Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services calls the law a, quote, historic step toward putting health care price information in the hands of consumers, end quote. It will require health insurance plans to disclose the usually secret negotiated payments for in-network and out-of-network health care service. This is where we pick up our interview with the Chief Operating Officer of the South Florida-based AvMed Health Insurance, Jim Rep. How is AvMed preparing for this regulation? We fully embrace transparency. We think that transparency is one of the aspects that will help solve part of the healthcare challenges that we have in the country and specifically here within the marketplace. Uh, that being said, it's, it's a very complex business. It's a very complex structure. There's a lot of variability that exists. It's not as simple as just saying, well, we just post things on a website. Everything's going to be solved, right? We do believe that the transparency piece comes along with what we call our third A. So we've got access affordability. We also think a key part of our role is advocacy, advocacy for our, for our members, for our customers. So along with that transparency, being able to provide advocacy to help them understand the complexities that exist within, within this concept around transparency. We've focused on transparency for a number of years now. We've had a cost calculator that members could access through our website, put specific procedures into that cost calculator and see what those, get an estimate of what those costs are. As I said, it's complex because with those procedures, there are a lot of sub-procedures and other things that are linked together. So it's difficult to get a, a black and white estimate, but you can get a ballpark. And we've taken that so far as even rolling that into a, a capability that we call Smart Shopper. And it's based on what, what are categorized as shoppable services. So if you needed a hip replacement, for instance, that's something that as a consumer, you could shop for. And most consumers have some level of out-of-pocket cost, and they have a high degree of interest in helping me spend my healthcare dollar in the most efficient manner. And we put that, that power then in the consumer's hands to say, based on quality, cost, and convenience, which one of these providers would I choose? And there could be some financial incentive for them to make a good consumer-based decision. So you know, bottom line is we fully support transparency. We think transparency is critical, but we also understand there's a lot of complexity. And if we just have the assumption that we put things out and people are going to access those and be able to do something with it, then I think that's, a, that's probably a bad assumption. This federal law, which was uh, signed by President Trump, it says that it will require to make available, quote, the underlying negotiated rates for all covered health care items and services for certain types of health care plans. That seems to go beyond, you know, a price calculator for those that are part of an insurance policy, doesn't it? It does. I, I would say it. it uh, I, I would say it goes beyond, but it, it's really... I think just expanding that foundation that, that, that already exists. The challenge is, is that that cost vari variation occurs across the board. You know, every provider has a unique contract. Yeah. Every provider, every health service company, every device, 
uh, every diagnostic, every treatment. Absolutely. That's why when I say complexity, the data um, uh, inventory of what that looks like is complex. And I would argue too complex for the general consumer to be able to understand. So it's really, it's really about what do you do with that information to help empower consumers. And that's why I said the, the real key to transparency or any really any of the other services that we provide is around that advocacy component. And how do we help the members utilize that information to their benefit? Is this Transparency Act on AvMed's radar as the Centers for Medicare Services is putting together these rules around releasing underlying negotiated rates? Yeah, so, um, you know, obviously as a, as a small regional plan here in South Florida, our influence in Washington, D.C. is pretty limited but we do participate through national trade associations. I mean, do you expect to have to release at least some of your negotiated rates publicly come July? We're planning that that, that requirement will be in place. Sounds like that could be a sea change for transparency, couldn't it? It, it could be. I think the question is, is around compliance and how is the compliance requirement applied. I think it really ultimately the demand around transparency has to come from the consumer perspective. So as deductibles and coinsurance became more prevalent, what we saw from the consumer perspective is, a, is an interest to understand the cost variability that exists. So take diagnostic testing or an MRI, for instance. Once consumers start to, to learn that an MRI um, assuming that quality is consistent. So there has to be a mechanism to understand quality. When they see that there's a significant cost variation for the same MRI from you know, facility A or location A to location B to location C, then they can make a, a better consumer decision based on their own specific needs and, and, and wants. That's why when I think about transparency, the extreme is this massive data dump around transparency and all the cost structures that will be overwhelming for the consumer. To me, the solution is, is in the middle. You know, how do you give access to the information that the consumer really needs to better um, facilitate you know, their health care, their health care needs? How do you think something like this can be complied with when the federal government is essentially requiring negotiated rates for health care items and services to be uh, made public, how does that get complied with with contractual language that the health insurance has with its providers? Yeah, those are those are some of the challenges that we have to deal with. Non-disclosure requirements that are built into existing contracts. Uh, so all those issues are issues that we're working through from um, from a regulatory and an operational standpoint to uh, to make sure that we're we're complying with the requirement of the law. But at the end of the day, you know, we, we also have contractual obligations that have some limiting factors. So operationalizing these regulations becomes more and more challenging as the issues become more and more complex. Jim Rep is the chief operating officer at AvMed. That's a health insurance company based in Miami-Dade County. You are listening to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Joe Johnson is our technical director. Polly Landis is our booking producer. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening.
WLRN Public Media.